0: Welcome to the study of the Book of Revelation taught by Michael Fitzgerald, Senior Pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We are going to continue on in our study of the book of Revelation, and I'm glad you are here to be a part of that tonight. We are in Revelation chapter 16, so open your Bible there. We have been studying step by step through the book of Revelation. We are now within some of the most difficult and challenging words of the entire Bible, As we come to terms with understanding them and where we are in the midst of God's prophecy in these end times. Very quickly, let me reset the stage once again. The Apostle John, of course, as you remember, exiled to the prison island of Patmos. Because he had preached the Lord Jesus Christ in the Roman Empire. And so they put him on this island believing that they would squelch his ability to get the word of God out. Isn't it interesting that even from that prison island that the Lord God gave him a word that has led and affected the church for many centuries. Uh, On that prison island of Patmos one Sunday morning, God lifts John up to see into the throne room of heaven... And God tells John to write down three things, and we've been going through these since the very first sermon, but let me recap it one more time. The three things that are in the book of Revelation, his vision of the risen Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 1, seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor in chapters 2 and 3, and then thirdly, God tells John to write the prophecy of the future of this world. And that takes us right through our time period, through the climax of human history and the beginning of eternity. And we see that in chapters 4 through 22. Now, as we focus on the book of Revelation, we realize that there is one central figure in this book, and it is the Lord Jesus, and that is the reason it is revelation and not in the plural, revelations. It is the revelation of the one Lord, the one God that we know. And the message of the book is very simple. Every person of every continent, of every color, will meet Jesus Christ personally There will be an eye-to-eye contact meeting with this Savior and those who accepted him as Lord and Savior will meet him as friend, will meet him as intercessor, will meet him as the one who gave us salvation. However, the lost... Will meet him and will realize that they rejected him, remained in wickedness, and they will meet him in trembling fear as judge, as the one who will commit the final sentence to their life. The saved will inherit the eternal joy of heaven, and the lost will receive the eternal damnation of hell. And that is God's word, and that is God's truth. And there's no way to circumvent that. That is revelation in a nutshell. It is the truth of God. It's not the imagination of any preacher uh, or any human being. This is God's Word written down by the disciple, the Apostle John, but it comes directly from our Lord. Now, tonight we open chapter 16, and we are in the most terrible period of the Great Tribulation. And, of course, you remember the tribulation is a seven-year period of time that will come within this earth's history. It is the last seven years of this wicked earth's history. Before the great tribulation begins, the church and the saints of God are raptured out of here. The church is no longer here as the seven years of tribulation begin The Lord Jesus takes his people out. The Lord takes the salt and the light out of the world. And just as you take salt out of cured meat, that's when the rot will set in. When the Lord takes his salt out of this world, that's when the true trouble sets in and the tribulation commences. And what we see is a world filled with lost people. However, during this seven years of tribulation, people are going to hear the gospel of the risen Lord. Uh, And there will be countless numbers, according to the Bible, countless numbers, millions upon millions during the tribulation period will be saved. However, there will still be millions who continue to reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. So the church is not here, but the gospel continues to be preached. If you remember in an earlier chapter, the Lord Jesus sets aside 144,000 evangelists, 12,000 from each tribe of the nation of Israel. And so those saved Jews, those saved children of Israel are preaching the gospel around the world and millions are being saved. During the Great Tribulation, you remember that the world has fallen under the earthly domination of the Antichrist, a government leader, a politician who is a son of Satan, and he wields political sway around the world, not just in a particular place, but it will be worldwide. He will demand that the people who follow him receive a permanent mark, on their forehead or on their hand, and it will identify them as members of his government. And if you are identified as a member of the Antichrist government, then that means that you are also identified as a follower of Satan, the devil himself, because the Antichrist is filled with the devil. And those who refuse this mark Of following the Antichrist will be persecuted with hunger and nakedness and homelessness. And basically, those who receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, who know they're not supposed to receive the mark, are the ones who will receive this great persecution for a, a great length of time in their lives. At the beginning of the Great Tribulation, Jesus breaks open seven seals of a great scroll of ownership. Of heaven and earth. You remember that only the Lamb of God can have this scroll of ownership. He is the one who earned the right to have it because he is the one who went to the cross to redeem a lost creation. And so Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is the one who has the scroll of ownership of heaven and earth. And he is breaking the seven seals with the breaking of every seal as the scroll is rolled up. As it is unrolled, a seal is broken. And unrolled, another seal, and another seal, and another seal. With the breaking of every seal and the revealing of the scroll, a punishment or a tribulation of God is poured out upon the wickedness and the unrighteousness and the sin of the world. God is finally repaying sinners. For mocking him, for cursing him, for denying him, for rejecting him. Now, when the seventh seal, the final seal, is broken in this scroll, seven trumpets blow as a part of this seventh seal. When the seventh trumpet blows, God pours out his greatest wrath and his greatest anger and indignation upon Satan and sin and hard hearted sinners. When the seventh trumpet blows, when the last of the seven trumpets blow, seven bowls of God's anger are released. Seven bowls of His wrath. So you have the seventh seal, and on the seventh seal, seven trumpets. At the seventh trumpet, seven bowls. So seven, seven, seven. Seventh seal, seven trumpets, the seven bowls. So tonight... And for the next couple of sermons, we're going to look at the culmination or the pinnacle of God's punishment upon sin. We look at these awesome verses. Let me remind you that according to 1 John 4, verse 8, God is love. That is the statement of the Bible. God is love. If he were not love, he would have never sent his only begotten son to lay down his life on an old rugged cross that you and I could be saved. God is love. However, the perfect balance of love is perfect justice as well. Perfect righteousness. God is not wrong. God is not unjustly cruel in punishing sin. This is his right. It is under his authority, and it is even under his love to correct the wrongs of the world. You know, I remember comedian Bill Cosby, I'm sure many of you do, uh, telling about a discussion that he had with his son. His son was not following his father's direction, and finally Bill Cosby says to him in frustration, I brought you in this world, and I can take you out. And I want you to know that that indeed is somewhat of an encapsulation of what God is saying here. Bill Cosby's line was a funny line, but what we're seeing here is a very serious thing in a very serious way that God is righting the wrongs and the sin and the wickedness and the unrighteousness that has gone on in this world. Chapter 16 is actually the halfway point of the great tribulation. That's on your sheet. Chapter 16 is the halfway point of the great tribulation. The outpouring of these seven bowls of wrath takes three and a half years as God winds up the tribulation period. Now Tonight we're going to look at five of those terrible bowls of wrath as they are poured out. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 16, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11 tonight. Hear these words. These are absolutely God's words, penned by the disciple John, but given directly to him by the voice of God. Hear these words, Revelation 16. John writes, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because Thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and Thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy." And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues in pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. God had his blessing to this awesome section, His portion of his word. Verse 1 tells us that seven vials, many translations say seven bowls of wrath, are poured out by the very hand of God using these angels which obey him. Now, the Greek word for wrath is thumos, transliteration, T-H-U-M-O-S, thumos. And it means, wrath means breathing hard. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been so mad that your breathing changed? I've been there before. That's an attribute of God. His holiness has been stirred to wrath, to righteous anger. Now with the pouring out of bowl number one in chapter 16, verse 2, The followers and the worshipers of the Antichrist break out in open sores. Now, these are the same kind of sores that afflicted the Egyptians when the plague of God was sent to them in Exodus chapter 9. They are the same sores that covered Job in Job chapter 2. These are the very same kind of sores that afflicted Lazarus The Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. These sores are open, they are oozing, they are painful, they are ugly, and they are incurable. The second bowl of God's wrath poured out upon unrighteousness will produce a drastic change in the earth's seawater. What you see in Scripture is that it will become thick and dark, and filled with clots like the blood of a corpse, like the blood of a dead man. And of course, with that change in the seawater, and of course, so much of our ecosystem is built on what happens in the seas. When the seawater turns to blood and clotted, millions upon millions upon billions of sea creatures are going to die And when they die, the great ecosystem of the world is going to be greatly, greatly affected. The third bowl of wrath that is poured out pollutes the fresh water. Of the world. So the seawater in bowl two, bowl three, the fresh water, the springs of the earth are affected. They, they Not only uh, will the world be afflicted with the stench of all these dead animals from the sea, but people are going to be ravenously thirsty because there is no water to be had. The sick are not even going to be able to wash their sores because of this third bowl of wrath poured out. Now look at chapter 16, verses uh, 5 and 7. I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. Now skip down to verse 7. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. I want you to notice that heaven itself is reiterating that this punishment is coming from the righteousness and holiness of God. It is not unjustly cruel. It is coming from the hand of God. He brought us all in and in these moments, he's taking the unrighteous out. They've killed, they've persecuted God's children. And now the just payment is coming for the sin of the world. The fourth bowl of judgment is poured out in chapter 16, verse 8. This bowl of wrath causes the sun to gain heat so that it becomes a deadly killer. Now, the scene here is not pretty at all. Uh, This is disturbing when we see it. People suffering in this terrible heat, which is... Now, let me remind you of this. It's still more pleasant than hell, but the sun heats up, and in an earthly sense, people are struggling and suffering under the heat of the sun, but they have no water to drink, so the situation gets worse and worse and worse as God pours out this indignation against sin and unrighteousness and wickedness. The fifth bowl of God's wrath brings darkness. Now, perhaps this is an overwhelming physical darkness, but more importantly, people are overcome with a moral or a spiritual darkness. That's a great indicator of what's happening in the world in these days. God has been so far removed and so far rejected in their lives that they're groping in pain and in lostness and and in bitterness because they will not come to the Savior. You'll notice in this passage of Scripture, it says that even though all of these things are happening and all of this terror is going on in the world, people continue to blaspheme the name of God. Rather than turn to the Lord for healing, they continue to curse Him and blaspheme Him. We've looked at five of God's final punishments issued during the Great Tribulation, but let's backtrack just a moment because we have three verses in this passage that really say it all. Look at at, uh, chapter 16, verses 9 through 11. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which hath power over these plagues and they repented not to give him glory and the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast and his kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. These verses indicate that the afflicted punished people know That's a blank on your sheet. They know that this is the work of God. However, rather than turn to him for healing, in the midst of all of these tribulations being poured out, rather than turn to the Lord for healing, they further reject him, they further blaspheme him, and they further hate him. Here are people in such agony that they are chewing their tongues to deal with the pain that they're going through. But they will not cry out, Oh, Lord God, through your Son, help me. Give me peace. Give me healing. They will not reach up to God for help. They continue to be in lostness and pain. Their hearts have become so hardened that they will not reach to the Lord for healing or for help. Now, let me ask you this. Why will god pour out such awful wrath upon the unsaved in the great tribulation period well i believe it's an earthly illustration to clarify the reason god does this there's a situation that i went through and adam wilburn was a special part of this situation years ago an unsaved young man in adam's and tracy's life was diagnosed with cancer Uh, A young fellow, and slowly but surely, this disease took its toll on his body. Uh, Extended hospital stays. You know, he had years of health, and he was uh, in Adam and Tracy's wedding as a groomsman, and I remember him well. In fact, you couldn't forget him because he was so tall. He was taller than anybody there. But as the cancer progressed, hospital stays got more frequent. And during those visits to the hospital, uh, I and others would go to visit him and want him to come to the Lord. And he didn't reject Jesus completely. He just wouldn't surrender completely. Does that make sense? He acknowledged Jesus, but he wouldn't surrender to the Lord. He wouldn't just release it all to him. And he he stood on that threshold, but he just wouldn't step over. But with the prayer support of many who knew I was going to the hospital, I made an appointment to go to see him just a few days before he died. And I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. He was at his home at that time. And I reminded him of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And that day at his home, just a few days before he passed from this earthly scene, He accepted Jesus as his Savior. He surrendered. He gave it up. He laid his life down to the Savior. And uh, he and I prayed that prayer of salvation together. He accepted Jesus there in his home. And not long thereafter, I and so many of his friends attended his funeral. Adam Wilburn was there. And this young man was a dear friend of Adam's. And Adam said something that I will never forget. He said, you know, God used that awful trial of cancer to bring him to Jesus. God used those months of physical weakness and pain to lead him to the Savior and to eternal life. And if that's the case, then his few days of physical pain, which brought eternal life, then it was worth it. And I've seen others who on sick beds and death beds who came to Christ in the midst of the pain, they gained eternal life. And if that pain is what it took to get them to Jesus, then that little bit of pain in this earthly sense that was just a very few days, just a very tiny slice of eternity bringing eternal life, then that pain was worth it. When God pours out this awful wrath of the great tribulation, his desire really is not to kill people. But rather, these trials are to show the earth his awesome power and his control so that people will call to him and come to him. And in the midst of the pain, surrender to him and entrust their lives to him through Jesus Christ as Savior. God's desire in the midst of the great tribulation is for people to come to Jesus to be saved. I want you to remember the gospel is absolutely available in these days of the great tribulation. And if the suffering of the sores and the thirst and the heat and the darkness causes a person to reach to Jesus for eternal life, then those short days of suffering will be worth eternal days of salvation. Sadly, though, it does seem that in the great tribulation, men and women are still going to go to hell Because in the midst of their pain, they will not call out to Christ. They will continue to blaspheme him and reject him. Even all of heaven is saying, oh, Lord, you are righteous in doing this. This is under your authority and your will and your righteousness. And yet people will not call to Jesus in the midst of their pain, but rather they will continue to curse God. How utterly sad that is. Tonight, as we close this study... We realize that there are people outside of these doors in this world. And although they might not be in pain and although they might have, not have great challenges in their life in this moment, they just cannot come. They cannot surrender. They will not give it up. And our commission, our task as a church is to continue to take the good news of Jesus out there And share it with those who need Him. Certainly, we share it here. Tonight, if you are here and you have never received Christ as Savior, or somewhere down the line you listen to the CD of this sermon and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, tonight, we want to extend that Savior to you. See Pastor Clyde, see me, uh, see our trusted brother or sister, and we will share the good news of Jesus with you so you tonight can say, yes, Lord, I need you as my Savior. And these few days in which you give your heart to the Lord will be rewarded with an eternity of a home and the salvation of heaven. If you need him tonight, you can come this very instant. Church members, those of us who are born-again believers, our commission stands before us. We're not in the days of the great tribulation yet. The Antichrist has not been revealed. The church is still here. We've not been raptured out, but our task stands before us. We are to carry the good news of Christ to the lost, to those who are standing right now one heartbeat away from hell. We are to carry the good news to them. God bless the teachers. God bless those who work in the workplace. God bless those who go into the world wherever the Lord might send you that we can take the good news where it is needed. I'm so grateful tonight to know that genuinely, sacrificially we can give our lives to share this good news. Too many people believe if I'm just good enough I'll make it to heaven but that is not the message of the Bible. Every person needs Jesus. That is our task That is our commission. God bless us in what he calls us to do. May we pray together. Our Father, our God, tonight, these verses are difficult to study when we see the horrors of the great tribulation that will come in that seven-year period. We're going to be able to see this from the other side, Lord. We're going to be raptured out of here as the church. The salt and the light and the leaven will be drawn out of the world before this all begins. But thank you, Lord, that even during the worst days of our history on this earth, the gospel will continue to be preached. People will be given the opportunity, even in the midst of pain, to reach up and to reach out to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But tonight, Father, on this side of eternity, and while we, the church, are still here in this world, we know that our Uh, job description is so well laid out here in your word we are to take Jesus to a lost and dying world there are so many people father many of whom we know perhaps many we're kin to but so many lord are still lost tonight one heartbeat one breath away from hell because as the bible teaches us this is not the imagination of a preacher this is God's holy word But the word teaches us that if a person closes his or her eyes in earthly death, there are no U-turns. That eternity is sealed forever. If it's an eternity in heaven, it is secure. But also, Father, that eternity of judgment and hell will be kept in place forever. So tonight, give us a new passion. Give us a new vision for the ways that we are to reach those in our lives who need you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And as we pray tonight, we ask that you will bless us, that we will keep our eyes and ears open for those who need the gospel of our Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this evening in Jesus' name. Amen.